All right, let's get rolling. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Let's jump right into 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who is present among you, am lowly among you, excuse me, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down stronghold, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In this new man series, we've shifted our focus towards the spiritual side of things as far as how we operate in this world. And Janet was even hitting on some of this stuff this morning, just talking about this spiritual warfare, and the authority that we have as a believer. Because the one thing that we've got to remember is that when, in, when, when Paul was talking that we are ambassadors for Christ, that comes with a certain authority. And we've looked at that briefly, um, and, and in the weeks to come, we're going to get into specifically how we operate in that more so. But we've been setting this up the last few weeks by answering four questions. These four questions every believer needs to be able to answer. Who is God, number one? Who am I in relationship to God, number two? How do I worship Him, number three? And who is my enemy, number four? We've been focused on number four. We need to know how, we need to be able to answer these questions from a biblical perspective, not your opinion. I mean, it's amazing how many times you talk to somebody and they say, well, I don't believe in God. And I say, well, okay, describe to me who, this God that you don't believe in. And the description they give is really simple because I don't believe in that God either. We make one, we fashion him off after what we we look like, what we want him to be. We question the character of God because we don't understand the character of a God. You know, we put expectations on people. It's like expecting your dog not to bark, right? Dogs bark. It's what they do. It's part of their nature, right? And we understand that about them. So while it might be irritating, we fully do expect it, right? It's like there are things about the character of God that we can't expect and all of that. He's not some mystical figure we can't know. And that's the problem we have in today's culture. It's like we've got these ideas of God, but we never actually start to question, who is he really? And where do we get that information from? So that's number one. Number two is, who am I in relationship to him? That is what we were focused on, is who we are. Because we've got to know that. Who are we in the body of Christ? If we are the body of Christ, that is not just a figurative term. It says that he is the head seated at the right hand of God. We are his body. That means we are connected with Jesus, and with that comes a responsibility and an ability to do certain things just like he did. Greater things will you do because I go to the Father. So, number three is how do we worship him? We haven't spent time talking about worship, but worship is key. Worship is not music, can be, it's a tool. Worship is not giving, worship is not the word. It is our lifestyle of being a living sacrifice before him. We lay down our life for him. It's the exact same thing that he did for us. And then fourthly, we looked at who is my enemy. And the thing we've got to always remember, our enemy is not people. People frustrate us, no question about it. Been in ministry a long time, been frustrated oftentimes through ministry because people uh, uh, make claims or do things and it's like, okay guys, come on now. But the bottom line is this, is that our, our frustration should be geared towards the spiritual because the spiritual happens. The problem we have in, the, in our culture today is we ignore the supernatural aspect of things. You know, we ignore completely. We're like, well, that stuff doesn't happen. We talk about Satan worship and witchcraft and all that. We think of some random tribe in Africa with witch doctors and stuff. That never happens in America. Let me tell you something. It happens all the time. All the time. You'll hear rock stars and, and, and actors that will talk about selling their souls to the devil. 
to be famous. Like that's now you you can't do that literally, but the thing is, is that that is the kind of stuff that they talk about. That they they want that so bad that they're willing to do anything to get it. And of course, the enemy's going to oblige. He's going to give you that. And so, understanding who he is, but in order to understand who he is, we had to understand who he wasn't. Because again, just like the things of God and the character of God being misrepresentative, misrepresented, I should say, is that we have given the the devil authority that he doesn't have. We've given him power that doesn't belong to him. We've given him wisdom that he does not possess. And we've also given him characteristics that are not part of his nature. And we know his nature because we looked at it. We know what he looks like. He looked like a cherub because he's a cherub. So he's this little pitchfork and red horns and all that stuff. That is not him. That is an artist's depiction of him. Most of what we believe about heaven, hell, Eden, all those things come from those two books that I told you guys. I showed you examples of. Paradise Lost is one. It was a series of poems. It is not theologically sound in the least. They were written back in the 1600s. And the other one is Dante's Inferno, written back in the 1300s. It's got all these descriptions of hell. Very little of it has anything to do with the Bible. But what you don't realize is how much of church doctrine has been based off of those. Most people don't even realize it, even the churches. They just don't realize where they're getting their information. It has to come from Scripture. And so we know what he looks like. We haven't got into his mode of operation yet. We will, because that's, we'll talk about that as we get into it. But what we needed to know is what caused him to fall. Right? And ultimately it was pride that he was going to exalt himself above the stars of God, referring to the angels. He's going to sit on the farthest side of the north on the mount of God. And then we see when he fell, was what I talked about last week in Genesis 3, because God said that you were all of these things and then I threw you from the mount of God. And we know where the mountain of God was. It was in Eden because it tells us it was in Eden. So we know when it happened and all of that. It's getting an understanding of what he was doing to understand how to deal with him. Okay? Now, let me give you an old, and maybe this has happened to you. Okay? I used to train salespeople. It was what I do. You know, um, I was in the insurance business for a lot of time, so I would go into these different agencies, and there was two things that I would do. I would help them set up processes on how we operate, doing this, the flow to that, and thing. And then I would help train sales guys how to close sales. If you're a sales guy who doesn't close sales, you know what we call you? Unemployed. Because that's what you do. Okay? But there were certain things is that you begin to read the person across from you. And there was a tactic that was used called the mirroring. So if you sat back and crossed your legs, so did they. And it would unconsciously or subconsciously, you would begin to get trust with these people. You know, you would mirror their movements, but you're beginning to see what makes them tick. So if you've ever gone to a car dealership and they're asking you a bunch of random questions that are off the wall, guess what they're doing? They're trying to find what's going to make you say yes. That's what they're looking for. So there you go. That's your tip of the day. There's no charge for that. That's free for coming on on a holiday weekend. We appreciate it. So, but, but guys, what, that's, we need to know how the enemy operates in order to walk in the authority of him. So we can't guess on that. So when we look at this and understanding who we are and things like that, we're going to look at three terms today. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Because we're, we're addressing what the enemy is. Now, there, the, the term that maybe you've heard before that's been thrown around is that I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. And so we're going to look at this briefly to understand that in its context of what we're talking about. But also the other thing that we're going to look at today is that what the most... Uh, obvious, the biggest problem in your life is not the enemy. It is not the devil. He is not your biggest problem. I'm going to show you what it is here in a minute. So let's look at this term justification. I have this up here. Justification, this is the definition here, the action of showing something to be right or reasonable or it's made 
right. The way Janet has a great analogy used, it's just if I never sinned. We are justified by God, just if I never sinned. Were Adam and Eve right with God before they sinned? They were perfect. They were in communion with God, which is what God is restoring. So let's look at this in Scripture. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now let's stop there. What is righteousness? Being made right. It's this righteousness of God. It's His character. Okay? Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Okay, now who's it to? All and on all, but what's the key? Believe in Him. Remember how we talked about that. It's that faith in Him. That's the key to everything. If you don't have that, not faith that He exists, not faith that He's in heaven, it is faith and belief and hope and trust in Him. So if you don't have that, then this does not apply to you. Is that fair? Okay, let's go on. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But they are being justified freely. So what does it cost? You, nothing. God paid it. So you were justified freely, just if you never sinned. You're starting over. By His grace, okay? Whose grace? His grace. His free, unmerited favor, His gift to you. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the redemption, the paying for. It's been taken care of. He's redeemed you in Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. What is propitiation? It's a big word. It is a substitute. Okay? He's taken it. His blood substituted through faith. So there we are again. That's how we believe. To demonstrate His righteousness. So He did all of this to demonstrate His character. You guys following me so far? Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. We keep going back to his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nope. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And of course, that is referring to the Mosaic law. You're not justified that way. But his righteousness. Now, let me ask you something. If you have come to him in faith, it's based on his character, right? His righteousness. Does his righteousness become your righteousness? Yes, it does. Absolutely. When it says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. In Christ is how we get there. For we are the righteousness of God. Which means what? We are now the character of God. Are you representing His character well? That's a question we all have to answer. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Right? There's a few things that will make you say no. Sometimes it's the stock market. Sometimes it's the president. Sometimes it's doing handyman work around your house. Sometimes it's golf. And if you're a Nebraska fan, it's been the last 15 years. Let's go on. So, but we are justified by His righteousness. That means we now have that character because of our faith in Him. I, I just want to make sure you guys get this. So now, it's just if I have never sinned before. I am, I am in the same right standing with God that Adam and Eve were before they sinned. Imagine that. Because that was the creation. That was the design. That was how it was going to be. So now all things are exactly made new. Now once that happens, then we move to the next step which is called sanctification. Now here's the definition for this. 
is to set that thing or person apart for the use intended by its designer. It's also called holiness. So we've been justified. We are now made right in God. We carry His righteousness and His character, spiritually speaking. But we still have this to deal with, our flesh, to represent Him. So here's what happened. Let me explain sanctification in a nutshell. There are some people, when they give their lives to Christ, that their character begins to change. Okay? Now, sometimes you'll have, you ever met that person that has a Bible verse for every single situation and they kind of browbeat you with it all the time? Right? You know what I'm talking about? We all, somewhere in our life, we've met that person, okay? And half the time, the verses are completely out of context, but that's irrelevant. And so, what, what happens is a lot of times, so like you're, you're doing something like, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. That's a sin, you know? And, and I've always taken the approach as like, you know, the Holy Spirit's smarter than I. Maybe he can lead them. And so I was telling you about the one guy that I was out in Hastings that I met. He, before I, just before we had moved out there to go on staff at that church, he had given his heart to the Lord. And then when I got there, he took a liking to me, and we'd spend some time together. I mean, he was a good man. He just, he loved the Lord. He was always in the Word. He was talking to people, things like that. He was a small engine mechanic, and uh, I was talking to somebody else in town one time, and he said, man, I don't know what exactly happened to Greg. That was his name, but that is not the same guy. I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, that guy was out drinking every night, and he cursed like a sailor, and he doesn't touch it anymore, not even a drop. And his, I mean, I never hear him swear anymore. And they're like, I don't know what the deal is. You know, and I'm like, well, I know. But that was him. I, never, I didn't know that side of him. I'd never seen that before. I just assumed he'd been like this for a long time. But there was the character of God taking hold. He was being sanctified and made into the image of God in his flesh. He's allowing God to take over and lead him. And this is, can be a hard process. Okay, but the thing is, is that people noticed. It was a witness to them. Ultimately, he was able, because of this, rekindle the relationship with his daughter that he had not talked to for many years because he was drunk and abusive when she was growing up. And he called her one day and repented to her, and they both broke down in tears, and the the whole family was restored. Praise the Lord. But, But guys, they took that sanctification. So let's look at this in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. So what is washing? Washing in the blood, that would be justified, right? But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So there's the term sanctified being used in Scripture, but you see a distinction between sanctified and justified. I want to make sure that's clear because the Catholic Church mixes those up. They use the word justification where we would use the word sanctification because they believe it is by works that they are made right. Our works is a part of our sanctification. Our works begin to look more like God. So now let's look at this in a couple of passages. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3. For this is the will of God. Okay, That's something we want to know, right? So, luckily, Paul's going to tell us what the will of God here is. You know how many times I get people ask me, can you tell me what the will of God is in your life? You know what I tell them? It's to give me money. That's what it is. You need to give me money. That's what the Lord's telling you. That's a joke, y'all. Relax. Okay. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So, here's that word again. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? In today's culture, it gets harder to define. So, we have to define it biblically. It is anything sexual that is outside of marriage. That's it, okay? So if you didn't know what it was, now you know. Go on. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. What vessel is it referring to? Your body. 
not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Okay, So don't act like them. These people don't know God. You should be distinct. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarns you and testified. Now watch this. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but he rejects God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So what happens when we are acting in the things that we just saw contrary to the Word of God? We're not rejecting people. We are rejecting God. We are spitting in his face. It's kind of like we want our cake and we want, the, we want it all. So I'm going to keep one foot in the world, I'm going to keep one foot with God, and I'm just going to tread that fence as long as I can. And this thing is telling us right here is don't do this. You are rejecting God. Now a lot of times, guys, I'll be honest, it's fairly innocent because they don't realize what they're doing. But I cannot tell you how many times through the years where it's, it's like we just we want a little bit of Jesus in our life, but not all of it. I don't want to give all, I don't want to sacrifice, I don't want to change, I just I want to feel better. And as a pastor, it's frustrating because it's like, guys, there is so much more to this life that when you get it, when you turn that corner spiritually, things change. Your desires change. The things that you want today, you no longer want. There's a guy named Michael Brown. If you guys are familiar with him and stuff, I'll give you a, a, a physical example of this. That man was a very large guy. He's very tall. He's a Jewish man. Uh, he's a Messianic Jew, which means he believes in the Messiah, that Jesus has come. And uh, he was a big, big guy. And he uh, loved children chocolate. He was a chocoholic. He talked about driving home from his office and he had to stop at a gas station to get a candy bar or something like that because he loved chocolate. And he had gone on diets in the past and he couldn't do it because, let's face it, chocolate's better than vegetables. Fair? Like, no one's going to argue with that and stuff like that. Well, I mean, his health was starting to become a problem. And so he went on a plant-based diet completely. And he said after about three weeks, he no longer desired those sweets and things like that. He actually craved broccoli. How many of y'all can say that, right? Like, we may eat it, but we don't crave it. We'll choke it down if you pour cheese on it. But, but it, it's one of those things that, like, his desires began to change. He's no longer tempted by that. So you could pour a bowl of M&Ms for him, and he's not going to touch him. He's not tempted by it. That's what happens to us, spiritually speaking, is that there are things in our past that no longer affect us. There was a time in my life where I drank, and I drank a lot. And uh, I, I could not be around it because it was a temptation. It doesn't even tempt me anymore. Like, it doesn't make any difference to me. You know, we go through things like that. But it's because just like you, I have been being sanctified and continue to be. Okay? So you see these things happen. But we don't reject man in this. We reject God. There's not a person in this room that would willfully reject God. But by doing these things, what did he just tell us we're doing? We are rejecting God. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 6 and let's go back to verse 7. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure. Okay, so that's never a good thing. For you that you go to the law against one another. In other words, you're suing a brother. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. As such were some of you. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Now, all of these characteristics are characteristics of people not washed in the blood, as were some of you. In other words, this no longer is you. Now, does that mean that all those desires go away the second you give your heart to Christ? Not necessarily. But you are no longer identified by your sin. You are identified by your king. You following me? This is what we've got to understand. This is the sanctification process. That as long as we are walking with the Lord, the desires with these things will begin to fade away. And ultimately it comes down to we've got to crucify our flesh. Now, so that is sanctification. Now let's look at glorification. This is the last one. It says finality of the removal of sin from the life of the saints into the eternal state that God originally intended for us. This is where Adam and Eve started. This is where we will finish. Everything else in between are terms that we've got to use for this world now. But this is where we're going. This is what God intended for us. Is our new man glorified into God? Yes, it is. Our bodies at some point will be as well with the resurrection of the saints it talks about. Now look at this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. This is what it's not. We're being glorified. So we see that we have been saved and that we were justified. We are being saved and that we are being sanctified. And that will go on till the day you are gone. And then we will be glorified. We will be saved. You guys following me so far? That's very important to understand. Because the thing most important in all of this is that very little of it has anything to do with you. The justification and the glorification have nothing to do with you. Sanctification takes work on your part. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to force you to do anything. Look at this, Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved. It's through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Our right standing with God has nothing to do with our ability. It has everything to do with what He did. The sanctification has a lot to do with our willingness to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. You see, what I want you to see here is that our biggest problem is not the devil. Our biggest problem is us. It starts with us. Now I want to look at Romans 7 here. And this is one of the biggest tongue twisters in the Bible. This is Paul. Some people think he was having a stroke as he wrote this, but we'll see. Start in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. I'm sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I don't practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Now hold on there. Where is that sin operating? It's in his flesh, right? He's making that very clear. So we see a distinction between the new man, the will that he wants to do, that he's not doing. 
You following that? That's his flesh. Now, the things he doesn't want to do, that's what he's doing. Again, his flesh. For to will is present with me. In other words, I want to do this. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Dwells where? In his flesh. Because that spirit man cannot be sinful. It can't be. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members. So you see the distinction. The inward man, members. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Paul is like, man, I, as, as hard as I try, I still sin. And I don't want to do it. Because what I want to do is not sin, but yet I still do it. Like this flesh is a problem. It causes me problems. It makes me uncomfortable. You know what we say to this? Welcome to life, y'all. Because this is the battle that we fight daily. Our first and foremost battle starts with ourselves. Do not blame the devil for your problems if you are not disciplining your flesh and crucifying your flesh. If you're not doing that, you don't need to worry about the devil. He's probably taken off from there because you're doing enough damage on your own. Our flesh is the biggest problem that we have. That includes our mind, our will, and our emotions. We call that our soul. We see this laid out in Ephesians 4. Look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now, why should you no longer walk that way? Because you've been made new. This is Paul's point. Don't walk like this. Who are the Gentiles? Everybody who wasn't an Israelite. These were the sinners, the people not in fellowship with God. Don't walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. You notice that feeling part. If it feels good, do it. That's the world we live in. The satanic Bible, the, the mantra of that is, is do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. Anton LaVey, if you guys know any of this stuff, maybe you don't, don't look into it. If you Google it, you're going to get all sorts of weird stuff. Just take my word for it. Here's the thing, guys, is that this feeling, it's like, oh, I don't feel like doing the things of God. But what feels good is doing not the things of God. And we go with that. We're driven by our emotions and our feelings. Look at verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Now here we go. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. New man Old man. What's the old man? Your flesh. What's the new man? That created spirit that God has put in you that is justified. That is righteousness of God. 
Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So what is he saying here? By following our flesh, we're giving place to the enemy. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So what is the purpose of working with your hands and earning an income? That you can give to those who are in need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for the necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How do you do that? Everything we just read and what we're about to read. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you. With all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. It's this outer man that is our problem. He's our biggest problem. Yeah, we're tempted by the devil. But when we don't crucify our flesh, how do we expect things to change? How do we expect to grow in the things of God? How many times have you met somebody that's been walking with the Lord for 40 years and they're still what we would consider a spiritual infant? Because they've never grown. They've gone through the motions their entire life. Is that what God intended? If your 16-year-old is still in diapers, there's a problem, right? For everybody involved, there's a problem. Because we grow past that. We mature. We go to the next step. So how do we know what this truth is that he was just talking about? John 17, 17. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is true. So where do we find the truth and how to handle these things? His word. Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world. It doesn't say you shouldn't do this. It says don't. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Guys, this is key. Because think about at the time that they were going on, there were still sacrifices being taken to the temple. And those sacrifices were taken there to die. But we don't go and sacrifice ourselves. We are a living sacrifice. We lay everything down before God. We sing that today, to be like you. Give all I have just to know you. Until that's the cry of your heart, we'll never grow. Because what will you give up for God who's given up everything for you? You think about that. God could have just snapped his fingers and started all over. He chose not to. His son, Jesus, part of the Godhead, came into his creation and was brutally beaten and murdered, all with the foreknowledge and will of God, knowing this is the way that I will bring mankind back. Now, that may not make a lot of sense to us, but that's how much he loved you before you were even on this earth. He did that for you. So how do we do some of this? Well, we start with taking every thought captive. 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought, not some thoughts. Don't let your mind wander. Keep it focused on what it should be. James 4.7, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We'll expound on that another day. But that word flee does not mean that he will just gingerly stroll away from you. The way that is in the Greek, it's like it's a drop-dead sprint. We resist him, submit to God, and he will go. 
The problem is we don't resist and we don't submit. But we want him to go. We don't do the things we've got to do. So how do we do this? Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, there's the answer. We've got to walk in the Spirit. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. Fair enough, right? What did Paul talk about in Romans 7? So that you do not do the things that you wish. That's exactly what he was talking about, right? My flesh wants one thing, my spirit wants another, and there's a battle going on. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. That means they're obvious. We know what they are, right? Here's what it gives us a list. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the fruit of the flesh, of the things that are of this world. If you're like this, these are how you will act. We can recognize it, right? A dog barks. We recognize it by the fruit. We see a tree We can tell what the tree is by its leaves or what it's producing, right? So when they see you, they should recognize you as something different because of the fruit in your life. So we see the fruit of the flesh. It says, don't do these things. But verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what is that? All the things listed above. Who crucifies the flesh? God does not do it for you. We do it. The devil does not make you do it. Do any of that list. You choose to. You make a conscious decision to sin, to walk in any of those types of things. He may tempt us into it, but he doesn't force our hand. He did not shove that apple down Eve's throat. He convinced her that it's what she wanted. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desire. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Guys, the fruit of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Allow him to take hold of your life. Our biggest problem is our flesh. One of the things are is we don't tame our tongue. Look at what James 3, 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members, that is our body, that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it's set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse man who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. In other words, we speak life. You ever been around somebody who's kind of got a foul mouth? You ever look at them and say, you kiss your mama with that mouth? Same thing. Look at Galatians 2. We're almost done. Galatians 2 verse 19. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So why do we do it? Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. This is why we do it. We're so thankful. When you recognize what you've been forgiven, what Christ has done for you, you cannot help but be grateful and thankful and chase after him. Romans 12.1, we read this before. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You know what reasonable means? It's kind of like the minimum. It's the least you can do. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, there's a few years ago, guys, this happens to everybody. See, so many people go through life and they allow our flesh to dictate what they want. When you're hungry, you feed it. When you're tired, you sleep. There's a reason there is fasting. There's a reason there is giving because your flesh doesn't want to do it. You're putting God first in those types of things. But a few years ago, there was a breach. There's a website out there. I don't even know if it still exists called Ashley Madison. And it was, a, um, it was basically a hookup site. I think you got on there and you could have an affair and it was discreet and all of that. And the site got hacked and a bunch of names released. And there was over 400 pastors' names that were released because they had accounts on that thing. Pastors, right? They're held to a higher standard, aren't they? In some ways, yes. But you know what they are? They're men and women just like you and I. They still have to crucify that flesh and not give in to its nature. And a lot of times, this gets heavy because the Holy Spirit will start convicting our heart when we start to realize that we're not doing the things that we should be doing, and, it, and, it's, and it's hard. And so one of two things happens in a moment like this. We either walk out here and say, man, I've, I've been off. I missed it, but I'm going to make it right. I'm going I'm to crucify my flesh. You know what the other thing is? We harden our heart. Every opportunity Pharaoh had to repent and let his people go, didn't have to go through all the plagues, but he hardened his heart. Jonah goes to Nineveh, they immediately repent. Two distinctions there. Pharisees had the same, heard the same sermons that all the other Jews heard, that the apostles heard, who believed in him, but they refused to accept him as the Son of God. Same opportunity. We can walk out of here the same way we walked in. Our biggest problem is not the devil. We'll get to that here soon. Our biggest problem is our flesh. If we could crucify that, what would we look like? What kind of impact would we have in the world? I have seen other people's lives change from one person's life being changed. Just in their character. When people start recognizing a change in you, it's like they start to ask questions. But what Jesus did, how much does that mean to you? That's really what it comes down to. The sacrifice he made, how much weight does that truly carry in your life? Because we take it for granted. We're like, yeah, okay, thank you, Jesus, and I'm going to go do what I want now. And that's really what we, it's, it's like we, we just, he's hanging on the cross for us, and we just spit in his face. Do you want to be like the Pharisees, or do you want to be like those that bowed their knee before him and worshiped him? And I don't know about you, but I know where I want to be. And I know that when I miss it, I want to be quick to repent. I want to be like David. I may not always get it right, but I wanna, I'm going to be quick to repent and follow the things of God. Guys, in order to go forward in our spiritual walk, we've got to understand these things that we have got to do. It's our responsibility. God's not going to crucify your flesh for you. We've got to do it. It's up to us. You guys with me? Guys, don't leave here the way you came. All I, every week. What's the point? We don't have a religious exercise. We don't say, you know, read this verse, stand up, sit down, take communion, go on about our lives. Guys, in this church, we engage with the Spirit of God. There's no reason to come 
if your life's not being grown into his image. There's no reason to. Let's chase after him. Let's do his work, and let's do what he's called us to do.